Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Ujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, May 11th. Coming up, Missouri could ban most abortions if Roe v. Wade is overturned later this year. Every step of the way, Missouri has been on the forefront of the pro-life movement. Plus, we'll have the journey of a rock, the tribe Kansas is named for, and the movement to take down a monument and restore the dignity of an ancient place of worship. There's a little bit of a melancholy uh, feeling that I have when I see it because it's a reminder to us as caught people of what has been taken from us. But first, some headlines. New COVID-19 cases in the Kansas City area have tripled in the span of a month. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. Average daily cases climbed to 162 at the end of April, up from 54 at the start of the month. According to the latest data from the CDC, the highly transmissible BA2 and BA2.12.1 variants each make up about half of all cases in the region. KU infectious disease specialist Dr. Dana Hawkinson says that while cases remain comparatively low, people should remain vigilant and get tested if they have symptoms. It continues to be incumbent upon every uh, individual to make sure that their family, their bubble is most protected. On average, 49 people are hospitalized with COVID in the Kansas City area each day, near an all-time low. The suspect in the Olathe East High School shooting has been booked into jail after a long hospital stay. KCUR's Jody Fortino has more. Records from the Johnson County Sheriff's Office show Jalen Elmore, an 18-year-old student, is now in an Olathe detention center. Elmore is charged with attempted capital murder for shooting school resource officer Eric Clark on March 4th. Clark, assistant principal Caleb Stoppel, and Elmore were all injured in the gunfire. Clark received an award of valor on Monday from the National Association of School Resource Officers for his role in the shooting. Elmore is scheduled to appear in court on June 8th. Kansas City officials have agreed to a new labor contract with the Municipal Workers Union. Starting August 1st, hundreds of city employees will see a $2 wage increase to $17.35 an hour for full-time workers and over $16 an hour for part-time workers. Workers with five or more years of service will also receive annual raises. Reginald Silvers, president of Workers Union Local 500, said union members overwhelmingly supported the contract. That's what matters most. You know, the employees are happy. You know, they came out in historic numbers to vote and the approval rate was real high. And so, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, I was given this opportunity and we made the best of it. Local 500 represents nearly 1,000 municipal workers in Kansas City. The new contract is the first agreement since 2018 and will run until 2026. Missouri is on the verge of making most abortions illegal. If the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade this year, a law passed in 2019 would ban abortion in Missouri, except to save the life of the mother. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum examines the impact on state policy and the upcoming election. Former Missouri State Representative Elijah Hard distinctly remembers his parents protesting in front of abortion clinics. The Springfield native also marched with his family against abortion rights, which is why the issue had such resonance when he became Speaker of the House. It's rare that you get to move the needle on an issue that you grew up 
as a child believing was really important. Har presided over a House chamber that in 2019 passed arguably the most significant bill restricting abortion in Missouri's history. It contains language that would ban most abortions, except for medical emergencies, if Roe versus Wade is overturned. And that scenario seems increasingly likely based on a leaked draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court. Every step of the way, Missouri has been on the forefront of the pro-life movement. And I think the actions we took in 2019 once again put us at the front of that line. For decades, Missourians have elected state and local leaders who oppose abortion rights, setting up an environment where it was possible to pass the so-called trigger law in 2019. But Missourians like Maryland Heights resident Deborah Moulton had a much different reaction to the leaked draft than Har did. I accidentally knocked something over. I had to clean it up. I was like shaking. It's like I, I, I had a very physical reaction as well as an emotional one. Moulton is 67, so she remembers a time before 1973 when states like Missouri could ban women from getting an abortion. She says the prospect of Roe versus Wade being overturned chips away at fundamental rights for women. And Ladue resident Susan Lammert says she's also disturbed that the 2019 law makes no exceptions for women who get pregnant because of rape or incest. What I think is going to have to be more than just what I think here, I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone and get out and do some shouting. What Lammert was alluding to is the hope that there's a backlash against Republicans in Missouri and elsewhere if the Supreme Court allows states to ban abortion. Some observers, like anti-abortion rights advocate Sam Lee, are skeptical that will happen. Lee is the director of Campaign Life Missouri. He says there were predictions that Missouri Republicans would suffer in 2020 after passing the bill with the trigger language. And that didn't happen. If voters are concerned about it, they're not concerned enough to, to get rid of Republicans and elect Democrats. There is, though, one recent example of a Missouri Democrat prevailing amid an abortion rights backlash. I don't think very many Missourians know how extreme Missouri has become. That's former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill. She defeated Republican Todd Akin in 2012 by an enormous margin after he said that women who were, quote, legitimately raped could shut down pregnancies. The biggest difference between 2012 and now, in my opinion, is not whether or not most Missourians think what Todd Akin said was radical or think whether this law is radical. It's rather that the Republicans that were leaders in Missouri spoke up and spoke out. McCaskill is referring to how national and Missouri-based Republicans wanted Aiken to exit the race. Now, all of the major candidates running for the U.S. Senate on the Republican side this year expressed hope that Roe v. Wade is overturned, while the major Democratic contenders want to pass federal legislation guaranteeing a right to an abortion. Senate races like Missouri's are critical because arguably the only way to save abortion access in the state if the Supreme Court acts is to pass federal legislation, and that will require more Democratic senators. But voters like Steve McAkron are skeptical that Democrats can roll back an impending abortion ban by winning at the ballot box. It's kind of scary that this is all coming down. McAkron is an Overland resident and a retired mortician. And he vividly remembers a time before Roe versus Wade where he'd see women who died after trying to give themselves abortions. 
But even though he feels strongly that abortion should be legal, he doesn't think that Republicans will reverse course in November. If it goes south for this issue, I don't know if 2024 they'll be able to recover. Missouri voters may not just decide the fate of abortion rights by how they choose in the upcoming Senate race. Some lawmakers want to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot that could preempt successful litigation against the state's abortion ban. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. A huge quartzite monolith in Lawrence has stood as a memorial to the town's anti-slavery European founders for nearly a century. But that monument is coming down. KCUR's Frank Morris reports that's because the stone is sacred to a Native American tribe that's trying to reestablish a foothold in the state that took its name. This is a story about an ancient rock that was stolen. On the north edge of downtown Lawrence, tiny Robinson Park is hemmed in by three busy streets, a railroad line, and the Kansas or Kaw River. And there, a bright red boulder, about the size of a large SUV, stands bolt upright. There's a little bit of a melancholy uh, feeling that I have when I see it because it's a reminder to us as Kaw people of what has been taken from us. James Pepper Henry, vice chairman of the Kaw Nation, recalls his first look at the stone, almost three decades back. I actually, I got goosebumps because just the scale of it, but I knew how important it was to our people and uh, I could feel the, the presence of it. And this rock, it had a long journey from where it came from. It's not from these parts. Neither is Pepper Henry. The federal government pushed the Kaw or Kansa people out of Kansas in the 1870s. He lives in Oklahoma. The rock's journey was also long and rough. University of Kansas geologist Andreas Muller says an Ice Age glacier tore this billion-and-a-half-year-old boulder out of Northern Plains bedrock and bulldozed all the way to Kansas. Less resistant rocks were just ground to dust. It's a survivor. And it's hard and resilient, and um, here it is. Right where the city of Lawrence propped it up in 1929, with a plaque honoring the city's abolitionist founders. Boosters hauled Founders Rock in by rail from where the glacier left it 700,000 years ago. But it's about to move again to someplace more tranquil. We're in the heart of Flint Hills, and this is near the site of our last villages in Kansas. Pauline Sharp, a member of the Kaw Nation, is standing in a field tucked in between a creek and sweeping treeless hills, showing bright green with new spring growth. Tribal land purchased about 20 years ago. And here, the rock officially gets its ancient name back. In Juge Wahobe, and that means sacred red rock. Sharp says untold generations of Kaw and other Native people sought out this enormous stone, clearly unlike anything else on the landscape, as a place to get closer to the creator. It marked the location of a spirit camp or access to other dimensions. It it was like a church. Tribal leaders are out here in the Flint Hills today scouting out possible locations to place this rock. For James Pepper Henry, it's bittersweet work because this is where the Kansas people nearly died out before being forced to leave behind their land, their sacred rock, even their name. I think most 
people in Kansas don't know that the state is named after a group of people, uh, a Native American tribe, the Kanza. And we've been virtually erased from Kansas and we're invisible to most people here. It's starting to change. The city of Lawrence has given the rock to the tribe, along with a thorough apology for taking it in the first place. A grant from the Mellon Foundation will cover the cost of moving the 25-ton boulder. And as the tribe restores its sacred, resilient survivor rock to a place of dignity, it hopes to rejuvenate the connection between relatives of people who survived the near extinction of the Ka tribe and their ancestral homeland. That is the deep connection between the Kanza people and the state of Kansas. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Frank Morris. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Ujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org, where you can read Jason's story on abortion in Missouri and Frank's story on the Caw Rock. Tomorrow, we'll have an update on how Kansas is redrawing its congressional districts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.